I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, turn them to Luke chapter 5. Today we begin a new series called Pick a Parable, and you have helped us in this, and you have, we gave you a choice of 12 parables. There's really over 30 parables in the Bible. We narrowed it down to 12. We let you pick four, and we're preaching them in the order that uh, the top to the bottom. So I'll be preaching this week. Pastor John will preach the next two weeks, and then I'll finish out the series. And uh, the one that won the most was new wine and old wineskins. How many of you ever heard a message about that? Okay, good, a couple people. I, I always like to, uh, when I have a text like this, I like to sometimes get online and look for other people who have preached this you know, text. And I did that this week and uh, looked at the, I think it was six different sermons. And out of those six sermons, four of those totally took this verse out of context. And uh, three of those tried to use it, which I think it gets used a lot. Well, you know what? We can't sing those old songs anymore. We've got to sing new songs. You can't put the old songs in a new church. And so they use this text to say we can't do old things. We've got to do new things now. That's a horrible use of this passage. So I'm not going to use that this morning. Uh, we're going to try to preach the text. And so to preach that text, we're going to have to go all the way back and basically, it's sort of going to be at the end of the message, I finally get to that parable, because it's really part of three small parables that Christ gives at the end of this text. When we think about a parable, and uh, just a, a little thought, it means to place alongside of, for the purpose of comparison. That's what a parable is. It's to place alongside of, for the purpose of comparison. It's uh, stories that teach a truth. I like this one. It's a heavenly principle taught by an earthly story. That's basically what it is. a heavenly principle taught by an earthly story. And then the other important thing is a parable usually has one central point. Where if you're thinking of an allegory, a lot of times if you're reading an allegory, that allegory will have a lot of parts that will refer to other things. The thing about a parable is the parable is trying to getting across one central thought or one central point. And we're going to see that this morning. Again, remember that point has to be, in a sense, coming from heaven. It's a heavenly point that Christ uses in his teaching to help people to understand. And I think one of the reasons, too, he used parables, and it's interesting, he used parables so that his followers would understand, but those who weren't following him would be confused. And often you find him doing that. And uh, so today in this teaching, we're going to start here in Luke chapter 5, and uh, I call this a very taxing day in the life of Christ. And yes, there is a pun there. You're going to see that when we get into it, why I call it a very taxing day in the life of Christ, because everything we're going to look at here this morning in Luke chapter 5, I believe, takes place in one day. So we're going to start here this morning by looking in verse 17. And uh, we're going to call this Jesus' compassion. You'll see there, we're going to read down to verse 16. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, I'm sorry, I started in the wrong place. I started in verse 12. Let's start down in verse 17. My fault. 
Okay, verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judah from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was upon him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed and threw the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this? Who speaks blasphemy? Who can, who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he immediately he rose up before them, and he picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have, been, uh, we have seen extraordinary things today." And let's talk a little bit about the context. Jesus is moving about the area of Galilee, and he is really involved in his teaching ministry and in his healing ministry. And on this particular day, uh, he is going to be doing those same things. Now, there's a group, and it's mentioned here. It's called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You've heard of them often. They are the religious leaders um, of Israel. They've been following Jesus to try to catch him and to try to question him, and they're totally disagreeing with the claims that he is making, that he is sent from God. And so their purpose for this visit here today to listen to him is to try to catch him Again, teaching something that's contrary to what they know and to Moses' laws. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Pharisees were driven by ritual, rituals and external keeping of the law. And they would even take the law and take it further. They added to the law. And uh, there was the written law that we find in the Old Testament, and then there was the spoken law, which was all these extra things that the Pharisees added. You could only walk so far on the Sabbath. You could, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that. So that's what they specialized in. And then there was the teachers, the Sadducees. They were really the wealthy elite priest. And I believe both of these uh, sects of the leaders were there listening to Jesus teach, and then, of course, the crowd. And on this particular occasion, uh, Jesus is teaching, and uh, four friends come bringing a sick man. And when they get to the house, the house is full, and the outside next to the windows are full. Everybody's listening to what Jesus is teaching. So they begin to think, how are we going to get our friend to him? So you've probably heard the story. If you've been in Sunday school, you know they get up on the roof, they cut a hole, they let him down, and uh, Jesus heals that man. He heals him. And uh, verse 20, look at verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And let me tell you, forgiveness is always wrapped around faith, the gospel. 
faith, believing. Faith is what we do. We put our faith and trust in Christ. And these men had come. They had brought their friends in faith, thinking that Jesus could heal him. Now, they came looking for physical healing, but I believe that there was both that took place in this particular situation. Then there's the confrontation, because in verse 21 you'll see that the Pharisees and the Sadducees get pretty upset. And uh, they begin to question Jesus. They say, listen, this is blasphemy. He's claiming that he can forgive sin. And you know what? Only God can forgive sin. So then what, what they're, they're deducting here is that then Jesus is saying he is God. That's blasphemy. There's no way this could be. And Jesus knows what their thoughts are. He knows what they're talking about over there in the corner, so he confronts them, and he says, you know, which is harder? Is it harder to, to, to uh, heal someone physically, or is it harder to heal someone spiritually? The realization is this. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they couldn't heal physically, and they couldn't heal spiritually. They could do neither. They had no power whatsoever. They were trying to think all the power was in keeping the law when all of the power was really centered in Jesus Christ, who they were rejecting. And so here, there's this confrontation, only God. And then there's the consequences that take place here. You'll see, the see, first of all, the consequences is immediately the man rose up and he picked up his bed and he left, what? Glorifying God, thanking God. And so God was glorified through this. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to save sinners, but he came to glorify the heavenly Father. And so here God was glorified. And the crowd, not the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they weren't really impressed. They were just ticked off. But the crowd was what? They said, we have seen extraordinary things. The crowd was amazed. They were amazed at what was going on. Now, that's what happens in scene number one, if you would, here in this story. In scene number two, Jesus leaves the house. I, be, I believe he probably begins to walk down towards the Sea of Galilee. And uh, then we pick up the story here. And what we'll say is the next part of this. And we see Jesus and his calling. Jesus calling. And... Uh, Look here, if you would, and we'll read from verses 27 to 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in the house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so in the first part, Jesus leaves the house where he's been teaching. He heals the, the man, and he walks down towards the Sea of Galilee, and he comes across Levi, a tax collector. Now, the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Jews would go out of their way to walk around Samaria because they hated those people. 
But even more than the Samaritans, the Jews hated tax collectors. They hated them. So first of all, we have to face the fact that the fact that Jesus stopped at this man's, we'll call it a toll booth, to talk to him probably ticked the Pharisees and the Sadducees off. Why would you even stop and talk to this man? He is rotten. We have to understand again that during this period of time, the Romans were over Israel. They were ruling over Israel. And so the, they were, the Israelites were subject to Roman rule. And what the Romans did was they wanted to make money, so they put a lot of taxes on the people. But they were in Rome, so it was hard for them to be able to collect all those taxes. So what they did was they actually hired Jewish people to be tax collectors. So these tax collectors, though, what they did was they would charge all kinds of taxes. Let me share with you some of the taxes. There were poll taxes. Um, and that was everybody had to pay that poll tax. It, it was 1% of what you made. Uh, there was land tax. That was 10%. That was of all your grain, 5% of your fruit. There was a transportation tax. If you used a road, like today, I, when I lived near Philly, we used to always go over the bridge, and we always had to pay the, we didn't call it a tax, they called it a what? Toll. Same thing. So if you were traveling down a road and you came across a tax booth, you'd have to stop, take out your wallet or whatever, get into your change, and pay. Now, what these guys did was they skimmed money. They would give the Roman government some of the money, and they would keep some of the money themselves. The other thing, even though the law said you only had to collect 1%, they could choose whatever they wanted. They could say, hey, listen, you're at my toll booth. You're going to pay 10%. So now you begin to understand why the Jews hated these people. They hated them. Um, they were basically thugs. Uh, they would even physically intimidate people uh, to get money out of them. Um, and I believe that this toll booth is probably where Levi is from studying the, the area. I believe it was, probably, as I said, near the Sea of Galilee. So probably one of the things he did was he taxed fishermen. So when you got your catch and you brought it in and you started back, he was there at his toll booth to say, okay, how, how many did you have today? Come on, pay up. So he was not well-liked at all. So here's the situation. Christ takes the time to stop and talk to this sinner at the toll booth. Hey, can I just stop and say here, you know what? There are sinners all around us all the time. Do we take the time to stop and talk to people about Jesus Christ? Do we take the time in our busy schedules to ever just stop and share the good news of Jesus Christ? Because that's what Christ does here. He takes the time to stop and to share with Levi. And he says this. He makes this simple statement. He says there in verse 27, follow me. Follow me. I really believe this is Levi's call to salvation. Levi will eventually become the disciple that we know as Matthew. But I believe this is his call to salvation is saying, listen, I'm calling you to a new way of life. I'm calling you to follow me. And notice, notice in that verse what Levi does. It says, and leaving everything, he, he rose and followed him. 
When we come to Jesus Christ, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, the Bible says we become a new creation in Christ. It says, old things are passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new. And in in Levi's life, we're going to see that. And this morning, let me ask you, when the world looks at you, do they see something different than the world? Do they see something different It's been on the news this week about the Christian singer who was at the Grammys last Sunday night to receive an award, and she walked out at the very first act because it was so ungodly and so sexually oriented. And she says, I'm not going to stay here and watch that. It's made the news all over this week. Some people have called her a prude. I think she took a stand for Christ and what was right and what for the purity of Christianity. So I appreciate that. And you know, but the world, see, we need to be different. They need to know that we love the sinner, but we're going to take a stand for what is right and what Scripture says is right. And so he did this. He said, listen, I, he, he, everything, he dropped everything. And his response is, he says, I'm just going to, I'm in a sense going to give it all up for Christ. He's going to become what's important. There was a decision here to break with his past. But there's also something very else that's, or very interesting in that text. I think, again, I think this all happened in one day because I think what happened now is Levi is so excited. He's so pumped about this relationship now that he has with Christ that he wants other people to come to Christ. And so what does he do? He goes out and he finds all of his tax collector friends, invites them to his house for a big celebration, a big party for the one purpose so that Jesus could share the good news with them. So that evening he shows he has this big party, this big to-do at his place, and all of these sinners, people who don't know Jesus, show up so Levi can share with them and so that they can meet Jesus. And so that's where we get to our next point. Here is the confrontation that takes place And it really takes place there in verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at at the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you doing this? Why aren't you separating yourself from them? Now, if you were here last week, you remember as we were going through the prayer, Jesus' high priestly prayer, remember what Jesus prayed for you and me as well as his disciples? He says, listen, I pray that as they're in the world, you will protect them. And I share with you last Sunday, it's not about isolating ourselves from the world. It's about insulating ourselves. It's about going out into the world and reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus doesn't have a problem with sitting down and eating a meal with sinners, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees do. Because, see, eating back at that time, when you sat down to eat with somebody, that was a a kind of fellowship. And in the mind of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there were certain people you didn't eat with. Here's a list. You didn't eat with the herdsmen. That was the shepherds who were, had their sheep out on the fields, and they would come in and put their sheep um, at night in a protective area, and then they would come into the city. You don't eat with them. They're lower class. 
Um, there were the peddlers. You don't eat with them. There were the tanners. They were the guys who worked with the skins. You don't eat with them. They were lower. You don't eat with anybody who's physically deformed at all. That's, you don't do that. Um, you don't, certainly, you don't eat with Samaritans. And then even the Pharisees and Sadducees, they had a problem with you eating with women. Because, see, women weren't thought of real well at this time. And so here, here, here's Jesus, and he's sitting down, and he's eating with these sinners. This is scandalous. This is really scandalous. And look what his answer is. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said, the sick need a physician. I'm here to heal those who need it. Matthew 9, 13, the parallel portion of Scripture shows us that this is really a quote from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, where he said, I desire compassion, not sacrifice. This is about compassion on the lost. And, and Jesus, see, the Pharisees, they have no compassion for sinners. They say, that, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. This is scandalous. And if you were really the son of God, you wouldn't be eating with these type of people. And Jesus says, listen, I have come to heal the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And what he's saying, is what he's really saying in a sarcastic way to the Pharisees, see, you think you're so righteous, you don't need me. These sinners, this is who I've come for. I've come for them, not for you, because you're too righteous to hear this. And so he gets this across to them. God saves those who sees themselves as sinners. Listen to 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10. God's law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. See, that's why God's law was given for those people to show those people that they are sinners and that they need a savior the law brings us to the point of salvation but it cannot save us and that's important because the pharisees and the sadducees they were all about the law and jesus was all about grace it was a new covenant a new time and he's there and he's proclaiming i've come to save sinners but they couldn't get it because they're so grained in the law and a works method of salvation. So there's this confrontation about eating. And now there's going to be a confrontation about fasting. Okay, it was like, okay, Jesus, we'll give you that one. But we're going to, we're going to bring something else up here. So, in verse 38. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make a wedding guest fast while the bride is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. 
So Jesus next comes back, the Pharisees come back and say, okay, you know, we'll give you one. You won that one on eating. But, but how about this thing of fasting? You know, we've noticed that John and his disciples fast. And we, certainly the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we fast. In fact, when you go back to the Old Testament, the only day of fasting in the Old Testament that was literally a day that God called for fasting was the Day of Atonement. That was the day that he said all of Israel needed to fast. Apart from that, he said fasting was important, but that was the only day that he said everybody had to do it. The rest of the time, it was up as God led you, you could fast. Only on the Day of Atonement. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what did they do? They took it again a step further, and they fasted every Tuesday and every Thursday. And if you didn't fast, you know what? You weren't very spiritual. And so I'm guessing because of that, and when you go back and you study the Jewish law, I'm guessing that this must have happened on a Tuesday or a Thursday, and everybody was fasting. But here, Jesus, he's not only eating with the sinners, but this is the day when those who are righteous, when those who are the religious leaders of Israel, we're fasting, and what are you doing? Look at us. We're much more spiritual than you. And John's followers are much more spiritual than you because you and your followers, you, you seem to eat every Tuesday and Thursday when everybody else is fasting. And so, Jesus comes back again with an answer. And he says this. He says, when you go to a wedding, do you fast? You know, I, I don't know about you, but when I go to a wedding, I go for the meal. <laughs> Come on. I mean, you know, no, you, I know we go to watch them get married. But while you're sitting there, you're thinking, man, I wonder what they're going to have at the reception. I hope it's a smorgasbord, you know, because, man... This will be great. Now, I know that's carnal, but that's probably true for all of us. I mean, you know, you go to a wedding, it's a time of what? It's a time of joy. It's a time of feasting. It's not a time of fasting. It's a time of feasting. What he's saying, listen, I'm here. I'm here with my disciples right now. This is not a time of fasting. This is a time of feasting, a time of rejoicing, a time of fellowshipping with us. He said, there's going to come a time I'm going to be gone, and they can fast then. But right now, while I'm here, listen, we're going to feast. We're going to feast. There will come a time, though, and that's when he dies and he's buried and he goes to heaven that I believe that we will, again, fast. He's gone. He's gone now, and we're, you know what we're looking for? We're looking for the return of Christ, and we're looking for that marriage supper in heaven that says there's going to be a great what? Feast. So, now... Do we say that, you know what, okay, we, we have to fast this day, and if you don't fast this day, you're not very spiritual? No, again, for us, we can fast whenever we want. But, you know, fasting is a discipline that I think that sometimes Christians ignore. It's not that Christ wasn't for fasting. He was. I believe that Christ himself, he fasted. We know he fasted for 40 days. He went into the wilderness and prayed. And it's a great spiritual discipline. And so here's what I'm going to ask. There are some things going on right now in our ministry that are really important and some families that are going through some difficult times. So 
if you want, I'm going to, and I'm going to invite our leadership, and I'm going to invite you to spend Tuesday fasting this week. And let me give you some things to pray about. First of all, as Pastor John shared with you, Ed Hickson came home with hospice. And uh, whenever hospice is involved, you know what that means. And so I want us to pray and fast for the Hickson family this week. All of their, all the family has been together. They all came in for the weekend, and some of them are going to be flying out. But I want us to pray that God would give Judy and the, and the rest of the family strength in these last days of Ed's life. And they would really sense his presence. That's important. I want us to pray for Dr. Peterson. As John shared, they did a trach. He's got a tube going down his throat now to help him breathe. Um, he's got a lot of fluid in his lungs. He's still in very critical condition. Um, so we need to continue to pray for him. We need to pray for the Eshelman family um, as they go through Ronnie's funeral this week. On Friday, I was over here at Manor Care to visit Wayne Luttrell, a member of our church. Wayne is very, very close to death himself. And so we, we need to be praying for the Luttrell family. And then we need to pray for souls. And so this is an important matter. So I'm calling us for these things that I've shared with you that I think are big things in the lives of our family this week. It's a lot of things going on in our family this week that I think it's important that we spend a day in prayer and fasting. So we'll send an email out tomorrow and remind you to, to think about it. And we're not saying that you have to do it. it doesn't, if you don't, that doesn't make somebody who fasts any more righteous than somebody who doesn't fast. It's the whole point of this. But I want to call us to a day of prayer and fasting on Tuesday. Now, Christ wants them to understand this whole principle. So now he's going to give them three short stories, three parables. And the first is this. Look, he says in verse um, 36, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on the old garment. If he does, he'll tear the new one, and the piece from the new will not match the old. What he's saying, listen, you don't, buy, you don't have an old pair of clothes, you know, that you're saying, you know, that really looks bad, so I'm going to go out and buy something new. So you go out to the store, you buy a new shirt, you bring it home, and you think, you know what? I think I could take a piece of the new shirt and put it on the old shirt and patch that hole. You would never do that, would you? And, and so he's saying, you don't do that, because what's going to happen? He says, you know... Here's what's going to happen. That new, that new piece of material that you put in, will, as you wash it, it's going to shrink. It's not going to match. It's not going to match at all. It's going to look funny, and then it's going to shrink. And so then eventually, there's, the hole's going to be there anyway. And so what's he saying? He's, he's trying to get across to the Pharisees and the Sadducees that have been dogging him all day. Listen, you can't take the old and put it on the... You can't take the new and put it on the old. You can't take the gospel and make it the law. The gospel sets us free. That's the purpose of it. You guys are staying in the law, and I'm telling you, listen, here's grace. It's not the law. The law's your schoolmaster, Galatians says, that brings you to the point and shows you you need salvation. But now what you're trying to do is you're trying to take what I'm teaching and make it fit in with the law. I'm telling you this is brand new. This is a new approach. 
This is the gospel. This is the grace, not the law. And so he said, listen, you guys are, you know, you're, you're, you're following this law of fasting. There's nothing wrong with it. It's good, but you're trying to make it part of the new covenant. And then he gives them another illustration and all of that to get to this point of what you wanted. You wonder why? Here, here, here's what it is. He says the old and new wine. He says, look there in the verses. He said, again, this is the second parable here trying to get this point across. And no one puts new wine in old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst and the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. So yet in biblical times, they would take the skins of animals and that's what they would be their wine bottles. That's what they would store it in. So they would make new wine. And if you put that new wine in old wineskins, what happened is that that old wineskin would, would be brittle and hard. And so once that wine began to ferment and once it began to swell, what would happen? It would burst that old wineskin. So what do you have to do? You have to take your new wine and put it in new wineskins. So as the wine fermented, as it began to swell, the wine, the skins themselves would also swell and they would not burst. And so this, this illustration, he says, listen, some people try to patch Jesus on and then some people try to bottle him in their old system of religion. He said, listen, it's like the first illustration. This one also highlights the futility and the impossibility of mixing the gospel of grace with the law. See, it's the gospel. It's faith plus nothing equals salvation. But the Pharisees were saying it's faith plus fasting. It's faith plus circumcision equals salvation. Galatians is all about that. Paul tries to get across to the Galatian church. Listen, don't listen to these Judaizers. Don't listen to those who are coming in and teaching you wrong. It's faith and faith alone. Where does that come for us today? Listen, if you sit here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's not a matter of working your way to heaven. It's not how much can I do to get to heaven. It is simply by trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. It's the new covenant. You can't take the old covenant and make it part of the new covenant. It's not the animal sacrifice and Jesus' sacrifice equals salvation. It's the sacrifice of Jesus and Jesus alone. And so this parable is really pointed to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's trying to get them to understand, come on, guys. You don't understand. I'm the Son of God. I'm Jesus who came to heal, not only physically, but I've come to hear more so spiritually. You don't get it. And then he, he gives one more. Look at this last parable, if you would, this last illustration. And no one after drinking old wine desires new for he says, the old is good. And see, these Pharisees, here's what they're saying. They were drunk on the law. That's really what it's saying. They were so drunk on the law. When you get so drunk, you, you don't, your taste buds are gone, so you don't taste that new wine and how good it is. They were so drunk on the law and so focused on the law, they couldn't even taste the new wine of Jesus. 
They were so focused on following these things. The Pharisees were so, listen, we're not sinners. They were saying, we're not sinners, we're righteous. Look at all the things we're done. They were drunk on the law. They didn't understand at all that Jesus was the new wine. He was the new wine who had a new approach, who came to set them free, and they were so stuck following the old that they couldn't accept the new. See, it goes all the way back. They couldn't accept him as being God, who as God could forgive sin and could heal. They couldn't accept him as God who could have a love and compassion for sinners. They couldn't accept him as God who was there to celebrate his being there with his disciples because they were so stuck in the old. And so you can't mix. This taxing day of Jesus has been about the Pharisees trying to get Jesus to fit in to their religious system, and he didn't fit. And so for them, they were uncomfortable. And so I guess the question, if you sit here today and you don't know Jesus, it would be this. Are you willing to try Jesus? You can't simply patch a little bit of Jesus to your old life. You can't keep him bottled up inside your old religion. Jesus insists on giving sinners the new clothes of righteousness and the new wineskins of grace filled with the new wine of the Spirit of God. If you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you today to try Jesus. Because all the works of this world aren't going to get you into heaven, only Jesus. And Christians, we're here for one purpose. We're here to celebrate Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and to share that good news of the new wine with people. Let's pray. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you'd say, Dick, if I died today, I'm not 100% sure I'd go to heaven. Then we'd love to have the opportunity to share that with you. After service, I'll be down front here. And if you're here and you say, if I died, I don't know that I'm going to heaven. I'd love to have a few minutes to talk with you. Come down front and meet with me. I'll take the word of God. One of our men will take the word of God. Pastor John or I will. And we'll show you before you leave this building how you can know Jesus Christ. See, the old way is trying to think you can work your way to heaven. Or it's Jesus plus my good works gets me to heaven. No, listen. All of our righteousness, all of our good works are nothing but dirty rags, the Bible says. This whole day of Jesus' life was trying to get the Pharisees and the Sadducees to see, listen, guys, there's something brand new. Something brand new. It's the gospel. It's myself. I'm here to give you salvation, to set your soul free, and they didn't get it. Don't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Don't walk out here today without knowing Jesus in a personal way. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to share this portion of Scripture. Thank you for the understanding of the parable, Lord, these three parables today that all point to the same thing. It's not that the law is bad, the law is good, but it's a schoolmaster, it brings us. But the law itself cannot save us. Our own works cannot save us. Only our faith and trust in Jesus 
His death, his burial, and his resurrection is the only thing that will take us to heaven. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I believe we live in a time of fasting and feasting. Time that we can fast. And again, church, I ask you to think about fasting with us this Tuesday for those things. But it's all time, a time of feasting and rejoicing because Jesus lives with us right now. He lives in our hearts, doesn't he? And we can celebrate that. So turn to the, next, the person next to you and say, I celebrate Jesus with you today. Have a great week.